Hey, you're listening to Data Plus Love. This week, we're slowing things down a little bit and doing a solo episode. As you know, I do one of these uh, once every couple of months because, honestly, the rate of sort of producing new interviews and sort of making sure that what I'm putting out stays of value can get a little arduous at times. Also, it's really nice to be able to take a step back and actually reflect on sort of where the podcast is right now and what's going on in my life. Uh, because otherwise we don't really get to comment on it when we're talking about other people, because when we're talking with guests, we want to make sure that the episode is about the guest. So when I'm producing an, a guest centric episode, I try to practice active listening as much as possible, which is, I think, honestly, one of the biggest, most important skills you could have as a podcaster, rather than sort of structuring everything towards your own end and where you want things to go being free and open to pursue the direction that the conversation takes you, which is really the whole point of having conversations, right? Rather than sort of trying to steer things towards your own end, uh, just letting it flow and seeing where things go. So to that end, I wanted to take a step back and reflect on some of the guests we've had on since the last time I did one of these. So in an atypical episode, we had Natalia Porokova on, who was a graduate student who wanted to interview me about creativity and data viz. She's actually working on a journal article that's part of her graduate studies, and I was one of the subjects she chose to talk to. So that was a little bit of a departure from me being the interviewee rather than the interviewer, and specifically about sort of the um, the intellectual aspects of creativity and data viz. And I'm saying that like I'm not all highfalutin, like you know me. If you've listened to this for a while, you know I'm as apt to talk about comic books as I am about sort of more rigorous data aspects. Um, but it was a different opportunity for me. And rather than just sort of have that be its own thing, I thought it'd be fun to put it on the feed and maybe see uh, what other people thought of what that interview process was like, because I've obviously never been part of that situation myself. So I didn't realize this at the time when I was putting together my guests for a while, but I had four guests in a row, all from the UK, uh, which is not intentional. Uh, Part of that might be the fact that with my kids being back in school now and sort of the summer schedule shaking up, a lot of times the way I've recorded the podcast previously is um, my free time was in the evenings. And when you're in the evenings in the central time zone in the U.S., that limits your options to who else you could be talking to in the world. So a lot of times most of my guests have been U.S.-centric because it's a lot easier to talk to someone in, you know, you know, I guess Pacific time zone or even Eastern time zone uh, after my kids are asleep. But my kids are getting older. And also my kids are both finally at the same school. So my oldest daughter for three years had been the Bodine School for Dyslexia in Memphis, Tennessee, which uh, cost a small fortune, but was incredibly successful in helping her with her dyslexia. So um, I remember when she was in first grade and a lot of uh, my wife's Facebook friends would see we were struggling with her having dyslexia. So every night we would try to do her reading assignments with her and she'd break down crying. She couldn't understand the words. They all looked different every time she looked at them. And we got sort of the well-wishers like the, have you tried going vegan? You know, oh, if you go gluten-free, I hear that helps with this. And it's sort of this like uh, modern, like white lady witchcraft of social media where it's like the right essential oil just might make you immortal. But really with things like dyslexia and dysgraphia, which she has both, um, it's really just a matter of your brain wiring literally being different. Like if you went under the engine compartment of your car and switched the wires around, like you know, no matter of turning the uh, dial on your AM FM radio is going to make those wires uh, connect the way that they are in most people. 
So that's why they have the Orton-Gillingham method for teaching dyslexics. It's actually a highly effective way of teaching dyslexics to read and write. And it's actually can be used to teach anyone to read and write. It just so happens that's not the way our education system works. Like if they switch things up, it would be maybe more inclusive in that way. But I don't know enough about the education system to really speak to that. But anyway, $90,000 and uh, three years later, and she is now in the same school as my younger daughter. So they're, they're both in school together, which has made my life a lot easier. Because every day when I get off work now, instead of driving to two different schools across town, back home, cooking dinner, doing homework, I now do one. So that means when I get off work, I have more time now, which means I can talk to people on the other side of the world, or at least about five or six hours away. So going back to that, that is why we've had a bit of a British invasion of the podcast with some amazing guests like uh, CJ Mays, Lorna Brown, Simon Beaumont, and Sam Parsons. So Simon, as you know, is a colleague of mine at JLL and an Iron Viz contestant last year. Also a Tableau Zen master, all-around great guy. Also bald, very bald, sleek. I assume he's fast, particularly when swimming. I'm not saying that to make fun of bald people in general, but Simon specifically because he is my friend and he wears a Baldies Do Data shirt. So uh, just know that he's in on the joke when I say that, and it's not just me uh, hair-shaming. Uh, Sam and CJ are two of those uh, curvy shit practitioners. Uh, I'm, I'm going to blame that on Steve Wexler. He's the one that coined that phrase. But they're two of the guys that do round curvy things maybe better than anyone. I'm not going to say better than anyone because there's definitely some amazing people out there doing it. And there's always going to be someone cooler coming, right? But right now, they're two of the hottest uh, hottest names out there in the market. Uh, CJ just became a Tableau ambassador. And Sam is a fellow Zen master as well as an Iron Viz contestant this year. So that's going to be really exciting to see what he whips up. Also, we had Lorna Brown, who Lorna just released her book, The Tableau, Re- the Tableau Cookbook, which I highly recommend you pick up. It's 667 pages, which is incredibly ambitious. And if you're sort of a data practitioner, and specifically a Tableau data practitioner, um, she is one of the bright minds coming out of the data school. Um, And just frankly, I've always been blown away. I actually told her when we had her on the podcast that uh, I've always been very intimidated by her, not because she's unfriendly, but because she's so sharp and smart and the stuff she makes is so high quality that uh, I always assume people like that wouldn't want to talk to me. Uh, so that, that's my own insecurity coming out. So that was uh, kind of fun. So it's been exciting to uh, have this mini British invasion of the podcast. And I hope that um, maybe I can get more people from around the world uh, to be on the podcast in the near future. As well as I'm interested in getting some some maybe like VIPs, like bigger names within uh, the Tableau and greater Salesforce ecosystem. But, you know, that's uh, uh, the, the podcast can only has so much draw, right? So we'll see what we can get out of that. Uh, Having said that, uh, this past week also marks my one-year anniversary with JLL. So if you've known me for a while, I worked at Alsac St. Jude Children's Research Hospital for about 13 years. So my entire uh, BI career and before that IT career was centered at St. Jude. And it was uh, last September 28th when I officially made the jump over and began at JLL. Um, And it was a big adjustment for me in, in several aspects. So for one, at St. Jude, I was always sort of internal facing. So we were all playing with our own data and reporting that both to individual uh, contributors as well as departments, CEOs, like all the way to the top. Um, and St. Jude's no small potatoes. Like this past year, they just passed a $2 billion year, dollars a, a year annually in fundraising. That's only with about 1,700 employees. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and it's it's needed because the hospital that they're funding costs $3 million a day to operate because it's basically St. Jude, uh, no patient ever pays for anything, which if you're outside the U.S. might seem surprising. But I mean, anything, 
like at all. Um, and uh, St. Jude has some of the most revolutionary and experimental treatments in the world because they're treating some of the most dangerous and deadly diseases in the world uh, for, for children. So it's a really an amazing venture, and I highly recommend supporting St. Jude. In fact, uh, become a partner in Hope. Give a monthly gift. It's not that expensive. It's worth it. That's the program I used to work on a lot. Anyway, um, so one year at JLL. So at JLL, I'm client-facing, which was a big adjustment. And part of that uh, adjustment was, you know, not only is your work style differently and the fact that I have bosses I report to, but then I actually have sort of my clients that I'm also trying to keep happy, which isn't that unfamiliar with how I worked at St. Jude. I always had people I was trying to keep happy, but you know, now they don't work for the same organization as me. So that was a, a bit of a change. And also I was going to use a lot more new tools that I didn't get to previously. So stuff like Alteryx and Smartsheets and, and learning how to play with all these tools together now and sort of expanding beyond that using Tableau published data sources, which we weren't using a lot when I was at St. Jude. They might now, I don't know. Um, but, you know, just uh, sort of skilling up in terms of that, as well as the fact that uh, GLA has some really cool internal training resources, both in terms of, you know, biweekly meetings to allow you to dedicate the time to your own trainings, an emphasis on getting certs if you want them, not that it's a checkpoint for you internally, but sort of a feather in your cap that you can have. And uh, JLL really wants to make good analysts, whether you stay at JLL or stay within the team or wherever you go. So it's been an exciting adventure. I'm not to say there hasn't been twists and turns. It's like that at any job. But overall, I've been really pleased that I made uh, the jump. And uh, if you're ever interested in coming over, talk to me. I'd love to tell you more. Uh, so having said that, um, I got the coolest thing in the mail yesterday. Um, so you don't often think data viz and mail, but we think about it a little bit more lately, right? So, you know, uh, magazines all the time now have data viz components. My dad regularly shows me stuff from like road and tracks. And what do you think of this chart? And usually they're kind of garbagey and they're for show rather than conveying information. It's more of a see how clever I am, which we're all guilty of if you've ever made a, you know, passion project. Um, but having said that, uh, I have a data viz pen pal. So, uh, Cassia Hulk and I, Cassie is in Poland, um, decided to kick off a, uh, a data viz pen pal initiative, not like dear data or any of the things you've seen before where, uh, you know, two people send a little data notes back and forth. We decided to get a, a little ambitious and, um, just do fully handcrafted, uh, data viz pen pal things. So I went first and what I made for her was I did a custom map of the United States, which I sort of, I, I did use some some technology tools, and I think we're all guilty of that, uh, to sort of create the map and stuff uh, on my iPad, and then uh, basically explaining uh, the journey that I took as a child when uh, my family moved to Tennessee from Pennsylvania. So outside of the U.S., I know a lot of people I talk to are always surprised by how dependent uh, people in the U.S. are on cars uh, and, and why public transportation isn't as uh, maybe prolific or useful as it is in other countries. And a lot of that is the United States is so darn huge and has expanded so rapidly across, you know, over 200 years that it's officially been a country. Um, but I was showing her uh, within my thousand mile relocation from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, you know, how far that is, how long it is, what age I was at, that sort of thing. But additionally, how little of the country that that actually spans. Like It's it's just a, a little chunk of the eastern United States. And that means there's all this empty space on the other side of the country that wasn't even involved in this move. And I think it's, it's fascinating sometimes where in the U.S. we often talk about um, when describing other countries, we compare them. This one's the size of Rhode Island and stuff to give context to stuff 
um, you use something familiar. So, you know, that was my initial one. And it was a sort of like little artsy, not over the top crazy, but really about distances and that sort of thing. So Cassia was taking a while with hers. And she says, I've got something in mind. I hope you don't mind waiting. I said, sure, whatever. Uh, so she was taking a while. And I was like, I wonder what it could be. And I got it in the mail yesterday. And it's absolutely bonkers. So Cassia sent me a handmade, uh, it's almost like a pop-up book. It's like a pull-out book about her dog, uh, Topica. And I'm hoping it's Topica and not Topeka like Kansas. But um, it has, it looks like sort of an envelope uh, shape. And on either side of it is a tassel that says pull one and pull two. When you pull out pull one on the right side of it, it expands out to give details about uh Topica and Topica's interests and favorite foods, as well as size and weight, all in hand-drawn charts. This is all handcrafted, by the way. Like this is, it, it's remarkable. And then there's an additional pullout. So you pull it one stage further, and it then goes on to produce two bar charts describing uh, Cassia's age and when she received uh, Topica in her life, and Topica's age when Topica came into Cassia's life. So sort of connecting her to the dog and that relationship. And it's just really clever and well done. Then if you go to the other side of the envelope and pull out um, the, the uh, what is it, a tassel on the other side, it does the same thing with a two-stage pullout. And this one is a, uh, a donut chart describing Topica's afternoons and what they consist of. So things like napping and chasing wild boars, which I didn't know were, were a thing. Like, I know Cassia lives like right near the beach, so I'm, I'm surprised there are that many wild boars nearby. But it was just – it's the coolest handcrafted data thing that I, I have. Like I'm incredibly happy to have this. And I'm going to be putting it um, right up on my shelf next to RJ Andrews' uh, Slices of California. Like that's how cool this is. I posted some pictures of it on Twitter. I'll include a link to that uh, in this description so you can see it in the show notes. But definitely check that out. Incredibly cool. She has thrown me like such a curveball. I don't even know how to respond to this. So I'm going to have to take some time uh, to come up with uh, what my response back will be. So Cassia, well done. Just truly amazing and remarkable. Thank you. Um, having said that, so transitioning from something uh, amazing and wonderful to sort of something dark and sad and then weird, and then we'll get back to something good, I promise. But this past week was super bizarre for me. So I don't know how many of you outside the U.S. know this, but there was a mass shooting at a grocery store about a week ago, or maybe two and a half weeks by the time you hear this. That grocery store happens to be my grocery store. So I live in a suburb of Memphis, Tennessee called Collierville. So there are many suburbs around the uh, Memphis area. And if you were going eastward from Memphis itself, there is first uh, Germantown, which is a very affluent suburb, and then Collierville, which is a less affluent suburb, but still has a good mix. So in Collierville, you'll find we have both $5 million homes and uh, a trailer park. So it's a fascinating um, spectrum of homes that you have. Uh, in in my general area. But anyway, I say all this to tell you that uh, it was the other week uh, when I received an urgent text from my wife while I'm working, I work at home, uh, that there has been a mass shooting at our Kroger grocery store. And uh, immediately, I'm, you know, I'm sort of, what? So I, I, I start opening up my various news sources and stuff. And all of them say, Mass shooting at Kroger grocery store, like it's like ongoing. It's happening right then, and I'm close enough to it. I it's about a ten minute drive, but only you know that's about four miles really. That I hear helicopters, so I hear helicopters flying overhead regularly, and I'm feeling very tense. This is at about one thirty in the afternoon on a Thursday or a Friday, I believe. 
I could look it up right now, but that sort of takes away from the authenticity of me describing this to you right now. So um, as the situation goes on, I'm on some several group texts, uh, and some of those are with some people that I know from church. And one of them is my uh, my pastor's wife, Allie, who says that her aunt and uncle were actually at the store and have both been shot, uh, which is a huge shock. Um uh, you know, because you know, first of all, you never expect something like this to happen uh, close to you. You know, when they say it could happen anywhere, it really does mean anywhere. It doesn't mean everywhere, but it means it could happen in your neighborhood. It could happen in someone else's neighborhood. While they're not uh, infrequent, uh, they. I mean, look, a few might happen a year. So any mass shooting happening is an absolute tra- tragedy and disaster, and it's horrifying. But like statistically, the odds of it being at your location are pretty low. So when it does happen, it's uh, it's always a surprise, right? Anyway, uh, getting back on topic. So uh, Ali sends this, and since the situation is currently ongoing, it's very uh, surprising. So everyone is texting their loved ones, making sure that no one's at the grocery store. Um, and we're very fortunate about the timing of it because it being 1.30 in the afternoon – that means kids were still in school. So the local schools around our suburb went to lockdown. My kids are in a private school because they both still have reading disabilities. Um, so or reading disadvantages or however we say it, uh, it changes. Um, so they're, they're not immediately close by. So they still to this day don't even know that this has happened. And honestly, I don't know how to tell grade schoolers that someone decided to shoot other people at the grocery store. So we're not going to yet. But anyway, um, this happened. And it was incredibly fortunate that I believe 17 people were shot and only one person died. It's a tragedy that anyone was shot and that anyone died. But having said that, uh, for the friends and families of those that were shot, um, my condolences. I'm incredibly sorry. Um, and it's just it's just terrible. And the, the weird thing about this is, so uh, <laughs> without naming names, uh, the shooter was the sushi chef within the grocery store who had been laid off earlier in the week. And I typically go to Kroger and get like a pack of sushi on Wednesday uh, because uh, up until now, it's always been very fresh and good and and had a good time. So rather than sort of let this change things for me, the next week I thought, you know, the uh, the grocery store in the next suburb over, there's another Kroger over there, is sort of being very welcoming and saying, hey, come over here, like uh, – Come on over, Collierville folks. So I'm like, you know what? Why not? I'll still do my Wednesday sushi thing. So last Wednesday, I went and got sushi from the neighboring Kroger. And then for the next 24 hours, found myself with remarkable food poisoning. So uh, I posted this on Twitter. Everyone was not surprised that I got food poisoning from Kroger Sushi. I can tell you, look, this is the first time I've been burned. Maybe one out of 100. Like I'm saying, also, uh, odds aren't that that great like if people are getting food poisoning from it every day they probably wouldn't sell it but it happened to me wasn't the most fun experience uh but it was a very strange week for me between those those two things so i'm finally sort of getting my equilibrium back and sort of getting my mojo back uh in particular the kroger shooting uh has sort of a psychic impact on the local community so because it is in the center of town and you sort of pass it whichever way you're going uh, you know, the parking lot was still blocked off. They had police cars there for the better part of the week. Um, and uh, it's it's going to be closed for this foreseeable future. But uh, they have a Kyreville Strong uh, decal that they put on it. So it's very kind of a, a unique situation that, uh, I don't know, not that many people experience. So, uh, And it is weird, like, how quickly life has to go on because you can't every time you drive through this intersection think about it. 
Anyway, this is me ruminating. We're off the topic of data. I apologize for that. But just letting you know sort of what's going on in my head and what's going on in my life right now. I am super excited um, about so many of the cool initiatives that are going on in the data fam community right now. Uh, I know Adam Miko got to speak at the Salesforce conference, and I'm incredibly uh, thrilled that he got to represent us and that he was chosen for that. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Like Adam is the kind of person that it's easy for everyone to root for. And having said that, Tableau conference is coming up in about a month. So uh, we got news that Beck is going to be doing a special performance there which I know everyone's excited for because Beck is a massive big deal. Um, I still am, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to get excited for the conference. Maybe I'll feel different as it gets closer, but it's, it's the virtual aspect of it because my whole life has been virtual for so long. Like I need something tangible to look forward to. And I'm not blaming anyone. It's just the, the reality of things. But, uh, I look forward to, uh, to sort of some of the hype as we get closer and maybe I'll catch the spirit, right? Uh, either way, I know I'm going to enjoy a lot of the content that comes out of it, and I hate the word content, and don't call me a content creator, but um, I'm looking forward to see what comes next in terms of the Tableau conference. So having said that, um, I am hoping, don't hold me to this, that I might have some special uh, episodes released around the time of the conference. Um, I've been talking with some people that haven't been on the podcast before that I've been wooing for some time, some of which are friends, some of which are people that I've never talked to before. So those might coincide with the conference. They might not. But uh, either way, I hope you're excited for it. Uh, don't let my uh, current uh, blasé spirit affect your enthusiasm. Like That's why I'm always hesitant to say something like that, right? Because I don't want to bring down the room. I'm not saying I'm down on the conference. I'm saying like right now, I'm having an enthusiasm gap. And maybe I'll get there. Like Maybe you could be the one that helps me, right? Who knows? Anyway, thanks for listening. This has been Data Plus Love. I'll see you in two weeks. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash d-a-t-a-p-l-u-s-l-o-v-e. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day.